Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. What do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 153 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me at our new podcast table, Charles Headland. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. This is freaking awesome. What's going on, dude? <laughs> totally new setup tonight. I, I threw a, uh, a curveball at you tonight. You sure did. Threw me for all kinds of a loop, but you know what? I was actually uh, I was excited about it. I was, I was pretty pumped up about the change. I like our little lamps. We got some ambiance going on. Ideal. <laughs> we we did a uh, a video podcast here with like a Zoom call with a guest, and it was like the we didn't have to look at that fucking circle. I hated looking at that thing, dude. That's what, exactly why I did this, dude. It's like so nice. You can actually interact. You can talk to people. You're not blinded by the circle. We get them. done. You don't see a ring for three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Three hours of the ring girls crawling through your mind. I feel like the freaking Drury's. Like you see that little mm-hmm. ring on my eyeballs there. Yeah, yeah. Especially because yeah, you have glasses and stuff. So yeah, I, I like it. I it's it's our new home, then, huh? This is it. Well, the thing I was thinking about is we could heat this bad boy up in the winter time because i got it resin so, right there just nice yeah. and cool and it is chill. so comfortable in here right now and it's, it's pretty chilly outside like it was a uh, what in the 50s drizzling today and yeah I got the jacket on pants i came in here and the jacket was too much i'd take it off yeah and t-shirt on so i i like the space i do we can uh we can work with this we can switch it up a little bit the nice part is you know i'm sure you were taking everything putting it away picking back out yeah you know, like this, you can just move this into a corner somewhere and Absolutely. you're ready to go. Right? You're ready to rock and roll. You don't have to take it. You don't even have to take your equipment in because it's already inside. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty freaking fired up. It's yeah, nice. I like it, man. The least amount of effort and time that you can put into this, because I know we do these things late at night. We do them last minute sometimes, like the better, I think. And, and I can see a good environment here with multiple people around this table the beer fridge is right there. It's freaking perfect. <laughs> you walk right out that door and take a leak if you want. Like, it's ideal. It's ideal. I'm so, a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan. You know what else I'm also a fan of? Scree gear. You know what? <laughs> Me too. I just ordered the new Flex Pants. Dude, they're in my... I ordered them. I got You got those. them in green, didn't you? I got them in green. I knew you would. I did. I knew I you did. would. They're, they're, they're sick. Yeah, the Venture Flex pants. Yep. They look awesome. They should they're shipped, so they should be here in the next couple of days. I got the new hat as well. The Guardian series. The Guardian series hat. Season hat. I want to see what that's all about. The only item I haven't bought yet was the uh Ptarmigan vest and she's in the cart. It's on my waiting. list. It's yeah. on my list of things. Yeah. Oh. I'm a big fan though. Scree 
everything they they offer the the expansion of their line is just very exciting right now go on they have some crazy sales going on right now 60 percent off on some stuff yeah i got a neck gator for like pennies dude it was insane absolutely insane so go check them out and when you're done shopping with scree hop over to vip archery let's go Definitely, dude. I've actually, I was on there the other day, and again, in my cart, I got some new broadheads going on, man. I'm nice. very excited about them. I'm going to rock some commanders this year. Are you? I am. Three blade. Three blades. Yeah. I, I've been I've been eyeballing them for too long. The combat vets are going to remain in my quiver. Yeah. But I'm going to split the difference. 125 grain? 125 grain. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I shoot all 125, so it's going to be good, man. I'm excited about it. Their broadheads are unfreaking believable, man. I want to give the new ones a go. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. You know what? I think we're doing ourselves an injustice by not shooting the new ones because the um, amount of freaking R&D that went into these and the years of testing, and dude, they are absolute killers too. So I think if we just, I mean, obviously the combat veteran works. It's tried, tested. It's everything we want a broadhead. The commanders look freaking sick. Gnarly, dude. Yeah, I would agree. So at some point, I will. I have a set of three. I'm probably going to throw them on some arrows and and, uh, see how they perform. Set them into battle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I trust anything that that comes from Matt, and he's doing uh, phenomenal work right now. So I want to support him and what he has going on. He's got some really cool broadheads. We got to send damn guillotine into into battle, too, though. I know, man. Next year, I'm going to make a commitment. I can't. Even I think even in West Virginia, I'm gonna bring the damn bow. <laughs> what? Dude. I am. I'm gonna put You're the shotgun a freaking down. Madman. I just. I have to do it. If I don't, I'm just gonna keep carrying the yeah, shotgun. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You have to commit to it until you until you get it done. That's it. Yeah, definitely. But that's that's pretty much the business, man. Archery season's coming up here quick. We are like two and a half weeks out. Yeah. Of opening day and two uh, B. So, getting. I don't know if I'm even ready at this point, man. I I feel like I'm 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 pretty ready. I have a couple things that I need to tie up, but I would say I feel more confident than ever with the amount that I've been shooting. Yeah, which is good. I man, I'm feeling good. That's the only thing I yeah. can break it down to. I'm feeling good. The Patreon, you know, shooting challenge, if that's what you want to call mm-hmm. it, is up. It's full bore going. We're probably a little over halfway now, right? We are. We're way over halfway. We're like three quarters of the way. Three quarters of the way. We're getting there. Yeah. And you know what? The improvement with all the guys and seeing them getting everything fine-tuned, Yeah, it's uh, it's been something serious to look did at. you see some of the, the groups that came this past week? I did. Holy. I have been impressed. Dude, these guys are killing it. They are killing, killing it. Killing it. I love it. I, you know, Porkchop and Bruce, these guys that they are just absolutely putting in just stacking arrows right now. I like I to see wait. the confidence building too. Yeah. Like at the beginning, everybody getting super nervous with the camera recording. Guys are starting to get in that zone, and I feel like that's going to be a huge benefit to, you know, when you get that opportunity this fall. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. dialing in, focusing, and making those shots, and I think it's going to be really good for everybody. Yeah, I need. I will admit, I need to shoot more. I feel good with my shooting where I'm at right now. I do need to shoot more often. Um, but I'm working on other facets of what I'm doing. So, um, you know, trying to work out more, ride the bike, you know, get used to my e-bike, do kinds of things like that, that 
I'm not familiar with. And I think I'm building kind of a more well-rounded self. <laughs> I don't know. Absolutely. But, uh, hopefully that all leads to helping me down the road, I guess. Yeah. No, I would agree with that, man. And you know who else is very well-rounded? Caitlin. Caitlin Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I am, I'm excited for this one. She was a really fun guest. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Locke kind of sent her our way and it turned out to be a great episode. So I'm, I'm excited to jump into this and this is kind of going to bind our mini series together. This is our midway point of the mini series where she's going to come in and kind of relieve us from all the hard hitting saddle talk and, and we're going to have a really good episode. Yeah, I agree, man. Let's get her on. All right, guys, we are back. This is an episode here where we're going to piece together the entire series that we've been doing with our saddle series. We've brought in a saddle expert. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we have brought in somebody that's very passionate about hunting and very passionate about saddle hunting. And Caitlin, Caitlin Armstrong is on the other line. Caitlin, what's going on tonight? Hey, guys, how's it going? Not bad, uh, not bad. Thanks actually, for coming on. Yeah, it's gorgeous out right now. I know you were just in Texas and the heat was in absolutely insane. Birmingham. Oh, I'm sorry. You were not in Texas. I was in Texas. <laughs> you are tired. You tonight. were in Texas. <laughs> well, it was still over 100 degrees, and it was insane. But yeah, you were in Birmingham. I was just in Texas. We were both working for Scree. Okay, back off. Okay, back off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Putting up the booth, doing the shows. Yeah. Long hours. Just unbelievable the, how stupid hot it was down there, and then coming back to this, like it is very nice right now. Beautiful. Love the weather. But we're glad to have you. We're very happy to bring this whole thing together with you. And uh, I know when I was down there, the reason I brought it up was Locke was the one that mentioned, you know, hey, you guys are doing Saddle Series. You should have Caitlin on. I said, well, who the hell is Caitlin? Let's get her on. Oh, <laughs> you don't have TikTok, that means. <laughs> I've been, uh, I have been staying away from TikTok lately just because it takes up too much of my time. But I've been on your TikTok, and it is very impressive. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> very cool. I'm going to have to – you'll get a new <laughs> subscriber tonight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everyone counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying to stay away from TikTok as well. And honestly, when COVID hit, because I had been doing uh, filming on YouTube and stuff for a few months, like dabbling – and um, it was really just for fun and for my, to share stories and stuff with my friends and family. And then when COVID hit, you know, we were all really bored in our houses. And um, I made like this one YouTube video. It's still on YouTube. It's called Corona Apocalypse. It was my first one I ever did. And I, I made a joke as I'm driving down to like my hunting spot and I'm just holding my phone out and I'm just like, Oh, well, I lost all my jobs. So hi guys, I'm a YouTuber now. Ha ha. And I like made this silly joke. And then uh, a couple weeks later, I downloaded TikTok because I thought like TikTok's for the young kids. Like I'm too old for TikTok. And I downloaded it and did a couple of videos, did one of me shooting my bow and it got a bunch of views. And I was like, well, that was quicker growth than YouTube. So then I just started doing TikTok and then it ends up being a really cool funnel for my YouTube channel and I get to show my fun personality. 
some would say, and it's just fun. I like it. Nothing to take too, too serious, but. (laughs) We just had an outdoor TikToker on a couple episodes ago, and we had a blast with them as well. So it is definitely the way to go if you want to grow in, I think, all spaces right now as far as publicity goes. I mean, TikTok is huge. Oh, yeah. Especially for the hunting realm. People don't realize it, but it is absolutely taking over. It really is. And and the funny thing is, is you can't even post any hunts on TikTok. You can't post any animals on TikTok. You can't say certain like trigger words like gun, kill, dead. Like you can't say any blood. Like you can't say I've gotten my videos taken down so many times for tiny little things like that. But um, if you learn how to use the algorithm, it can be a really, really cool funnel to other channels where you post like all your more like serious content. Um, but I was just posting funny content and relatable stuff on TikTok at first. And then I realized I could do short form educational videos. And that's when I started getting a lot more views because I was kind of the only one doing it at the time three years ago. So yeah, very cool. Very cool. Absolutely. So to transition all of this is somebody doesn't have TikTok and they haven't heard of you like myself. And I apologize for that. Now I know who you are. <laughs> You don't need to apologize. The internet's a very large place. (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for the listeners? Okay, well, my name is Caitlin Armstrong. All my social media is Caitlin Armstrong. Um, And uh, I just love sharing my journey, my hunting journey with anybody who's interested in watching. Um, I love posting my failures and my successes. Um, I am completely self-taught. Uh, bow hunter and saddle hunter and self filmer. In fact, I'm pretty sure I learned all three to start off with in the same year and was like, yeah, why not just pick up all three and learn and film all my mistakes at the same time? People will think it's funny. And like it just the snowball just kept going. And now, like, I do educational stuff based on the things I have learned, um, but I try to spin it in a way like a lot of my videos. Um, two years ago started off by saying like hi my name is Kate and this year I'm learning how to hunt from a saddle and here's what I've learned so far like and I would just do like the basic stuff and um, now that I've been doing it for the last three years um, I just try to share what I've learned in the last three years and I'm a super huge nerd about it and I go into extreme detail but I do because I learned from watching YouTube's like I learned from watching other people and I would type things in that I had questions about and there would be nothing. So then once I trial and error learned, I realized like, Hey, I can fill this space because there's not really a lot of information out there about all the tiny little things I wanted to know. I thought like, Oh, maybe there's other nerds in the hunting industry like me that are like absolutely obsessed with doing things like right down to the wire, all the little details. So Turns out there are, I guess. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. I like that you post your success and your failures too. That's something that not everybody does. They just want to show, you know, all the success. I'm perfect. I don't have any failures. I like that. (laughs) It's It's a good personality trait. And you know what? Being, you know, learning yourself, I mean, getting a little nerdy into it and really going down to the fine details is something I think a lot of people can appreciate. And I know we can appreciate it because... We've geeked out pretty hard the last, I don't know, oh, four or five four years, or five years into hard. saddle hunting. And it's, yeah. it's exciting, and I like it. I, it's cool. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I've got a ton of comments of people saying, like, 
thank you to me for posting all of my mess ups and my failures. Even recently, I started um, through, I do a lot of editing now because I've gotten so much better at using like technology and stuff. And I started um, saving like all my bloopers, I guess, and throwing them little reels and posting them online. And I even get comments on that like, hey, thanks for sharing that content. Like it shows that you don't need to be a perfect spokesperson to be able to post your stuff and do educational stuff. Like when the camera turns on, I do like a lot of ums and weird stuff. And, you know, if you put it together, if you edit all of the weird stuff and put it together, sometimes it ends up being funny. And like, why not let other people have a couple of laughs? Like, I don't know. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's not only (laughs) funny, but it's more realistic too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So like there's, there's, there's those bloopers, which are funny and realistic. And then there's like, ones that I posted two years ago before I even picked up a saddle. I have a video, if you scroll all the way down on my TikTok, I have a video where like, um, I'm actually hunting out of my lone wolf climber on public land. And it was my first year hunting with a bow and I hadn't even harvested a deer yet with a bow ever. And, um, back then I used to like do the whole like camo face paint thing. And, um, (laughs) I had gotten, I'm always like late to everything. That's like a, personality trait of mine like I'm a mess and I'm always late to everything and so I was actually putting on my makeup like in the deer stand (laughs) and like the video is of me with half my makeup done and it wasn't even anything crazy like I was just doing like little up down up down one side and then do the other right takes like a minute and uh, I have half of it done and I'm super upset in the video because I had just shot a doe and I had not the best experience because I was using the wrong broadheads because somebody had suggested these broadheads to me and they weren't the correct ones for the poundage I was pulling back. Yeah. So I didn't get the best penetration on the deer. And before I even got out of the tree stand, I was up there and I, and I was upset about it because I had watched, you know, I had watched the whole thing happen. I'd watched the deer go off and I could just tell by, by watching her movements and everything that it wasn't the best shot. And um, I had to do my due diligence for like the next two days. But long story short, the the TikTok was me just holding my phone out and telling, you know, my my viewers like what had happened. And I'm choked up, like my eyes are a little watery, my makeup's half done and I look half a mess. But it was just like a raw moment. And I was just saying like, that really sucked. I wasn't paying attention because I was doing my makeup. A deer came in and I made the best shot possible, but because of the broadhead, you know, and at the time I didn't know that the broadhead was the problem, but that just was like another moment that was a, you know, like a failure that was you had to learn from. And then after that, after that video, I did like a whole series of like, here are the broadheads I was using. Now I'm switching over to these ones. And then those videos actually got a lot of views. And then people were sending me messages like, thanks for being realistic. Oh, my daughter shoots the same bow as you. I'm going to switch broadheads so I don't make the same mistake as you did. And I like getting uh, feedback like that because it, even though I'm posting my failures, it gives me like the, you know, like the gas I need to keep going, I guess, because I'm helping, even if I'm helping just like one person, it makes me feel really good. So definitely a good learning experience for everybody. You know, you mentioned that you only started bow hunting a few years ago and you were starting out, you didn't really know what you were doing. What kind of gave you that push to get into bow hunting initially? 
well, I loved hunting and it really sucked only hunting one week out of the year. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> that's a good push. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually the driver. So, so I kind of grew up hunting, um, gun hunting with my dad. Um, he only had one and a half days off a week. So there wasn't a lot of time to teach me how to hunt. And that's definitely not enough time to teach me how to bow hunt. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times his day off was used with getting things done around the house. So really we could only gun hunt together. And then we started, um, yeah, I basically just did that my whole life was gun hunt. And then when I became an adult and I moved to Ohio and I started living in Ohio, I think I was 26 when I moved to Ohio or 25. And uh, that first year I bought a really old ancient, ancient, ancient crossbow off my cousin for like 80 bucks. It's one of those where like, you can't even buy a pin for it because they don't make them anymore. <laughs> and like when I took it to the bow shop, all the bow techs, I looked at me like, you want us to work on this? Um, but I thought that if I learned how to hunt with a crossbow, that was a really good transition yeah. for learning how an arrow goes through a deer versus a bullet. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was teaching myself and to be honest with you, like I didn't even really know how to hunt because growing up, it was always like, you know, here's your tree. And I would go scouting with my dad and everything. But as a kid, you can only absorb so much. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, I definitely didn't know how to find public land I'd never been on before and find the deer sign and, you know, hunt the deer. Like, so, you know, it was learning how to hunt plus learning how to transition to a bow by using a crossbow. So, and this crossbow, it only shot 35 yards because it was so ancient. At 40 yards, that arrow dipped down so low, like I was not going to shoot it at a deer. So it still gave me like the really up close and personal interaction with the deer, which taught me how to essentially hunt during bow season. Yeah. Um, and I used that crossbow for two years and I harvested quite a few deer um, before I picked up a compound. So, and actually my first year of owning a compound I shot it all summer and I didn't feel comfortable enough to go hunting with it and shoot a deer with it. So I used my crossbow that season as well. And then the following season I went and used my compound. So. Well, good on and you for being resourceful. First year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love the honesty there and, and yeah. that. And I love that, you know, you use the crossbow and you understood it as a transition weapon mm -hmm. to get into another, you know, season of hunting um, it's just like, you could be a role model for all kinds of people that are trying to do exactly what you did in all honesty. And I'm not just kissing your ass. Like <laughs> you, you did it the right way. And my, I mean, when you think about it and you look at what, you know, some, it's very controversial, right? Crossbow, yeah. bow. It's so controversial when it you is. take it and you tell the story the way you just did in the manner of you did the, the way you just did it like that is exactly perfect to how i see the use of a crossbow yeah you know i i'm not for it or against it i think that is exactly how it should be used so that was excellent very well put thank you thanks and i mean at the time like it 
it was all I had. I didn't have the money to go buy a compound. I looked into it. I did all the research. I watched a ton of YouTube videos and I learned that there was so much learning involved with the compound that I just knew there was no way I was going to be able to bow hunt and hunt all season long if I used a compound. So there was, there was just too much to learn, way too much to learn. And I was overwhelmed and even using your crossbow. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I practiced shooting it. Again, my situation is a tiny different. It's not like it was like a Raven crossbow. Yeah, you're not you shooting hundred yards. And those things to like 10 year olds, you know, this crossbow was like really like sketchy borderline. <laughs> so it was made out of wood. It was one of those. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a, it was a Horton Yukon SL. So for anybody who feels like Googling what it looked like, that was, a, it's a really old crossbow, like <laughs> ridiculous. I think it was, it was still like a 150 pound drawback, but I mean, yeah, there was no shooting past 35 yards. So it was, I feel like it was definitely the best transition I possibly could have made with it. Um, and it really, really helped me get me hooked. I mean, the first year I shot with it, um, it was on public land. I found the spot. I went up there with my climbing tree stand. I waited and I had like a little basket case, eight point buck come in and and I hadn't ever shot a buck anything in, in Ohio. I hadn't shot a buck anything, anything bigger than like a tiny little, you know, six pointer. And that one to me looked good enough. So I pulled the trigger and it was it was really cool to have all the steps of my preparation for that moment all come into play. It was like, you know, found the spot by myself, got up in the tree, had, you know, well, I mean, I actually found the spot with my cousin. We were scouting together, but, you know, essentially we were helping each other. It was a new spot for both of us. So it was cool to just have that whole thing come together. Like my planning had worked and then it was like, okay, next year it's going to be bigger and better. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I think it's kind of cool. Really. I mean, you had to start at square one, realistically. I mean, you you gun hunted, and then you're kind of getting into it. And I kind of mentioned a little yeah. bit before, you were being very resourceful. Like, you were kind of using what you had. You got this crossbow. You're getting into it. And I like to see that you're like, it's not necessarily like a thing, but I, I feel like a lot of people on the internet, especially, they want people to take, like, stepping stones. Like, they don't want you to go out in the first year you shoot 160-inch buck or something like that. And you're hitting these stepping stones. Like, you're a gun hunter. You're trying to transition into archery. You get the crossbow, kill some deer with it. Then you go out scouting. You're starting to learn a little bit more. You shot a little six point. Now you're moving into an eight point. Like the whole thing put together is just like, you're like the model for for (laughs) what people should be like. I don't want to say should be, but what people have in their mind is like the transition from gun to, you know, the whole stepping stones of becoming like an archer. Thanks. So I really appreciate that because the whole time it didn't, it definitely felt like the struggle bus. I'm sure. <laughs> was, I'm sure. It was like, just, Hey, I'm doing the best I can. And I'm just like struggling the whole yeah. way. And <laughs> like, it definitely didn't feel like, Hey, you're doing it the right way. Keep going. Like it was just mm-hmm. like, well, it's the best I got. Let's hope for the best. Like that's what it felt like the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I'm I think sure it was a hell of a learning experience. Oh, I'm though. sure. And I think it's hilarious that, you know, you kept mentioning how you learned so much from YouTube YouTube is such a phenomenal source for us, you know, younger generation of hunters that you think about it. What would you have done without YouTube? I mean, in all honesty, would you have been reading magazines? I mean, where would you have learned without YouTube? I mean, that's what my dad did. I mean, Mm -hmm. growing up, like (laughs) 
growing up, like we would always have like a little uh, basket in the bathroom for entertainment. And it was always like hunting magazines and like home goods. Like, but right. I mean, if you ask him, he would say the same thing because I mean, I would tell him uh, if I learn something new, I'll tell him. He's like, where'd you learn that? I'm like, YouTube, dad, I'm telling you, like everything's on the internet. And he's like, that's crazy. I do. I had to read magazines and wait for the next month for the new little tiny nuggets of information to come out. Like, right. Yeah. Like know? how to kill a so. white toe in October and it comes out October 15th. It's like, damn it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where was this last oh, yeah. month? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I awesome. mean, me and him have had conversations where he's just like telling me like, he's told me before, like you're light years ahead of where I was when I was your age, just because of the information you have a free library slash college of whatever subject you want to learn on, on the internet. So, I mean, if you don't utilize, everybody should be utilizing it in some way, shape or form. Definitely. Who are the people that you were leaning on whenever you were really trying to learn and and pick up new tips and tips and tactics? Uh, in the beginning, it was definitely my dad. Um, because he was the one that was willing to have the in-depth conversations with me, especially when I was feeling insecure and like I didn't know what I was doing because at the time I didn't really have a group of friends around me that were doing the same thing that I was doing. Now all of my friends hunt and I'm really lucky to have grown that circle. Um, But back the first two years I was learning, I was all by myself. I had nobody so there were times like when I made that mistake shooting that doe, I mean, the whole time I was tracking the doe and even and even that evening and the next day, like I called my dad and I was like video chatting him, like showing him the blood trail, explaining like what direction she went off, how she reacted. And, you know, he he's always been there to give me the best advice that he was um, able to give me from thousands of miles away in another state. So, um, and he, so he's really always been there for me as like a huge support system. And now that I've made friends, um, they've helped me a whole lot from, um, helping me correct all the bad habits that I created by being a self-taught archer and, uh, changing my, uh, like setup and my gear setups to be better. And now I just have a bunch of people around me that, uh, just give me advice whenever I need it. And um, it's really nice to have somebody to call when you kill a deer and can't get it out by yourself. It was nice to have like a group of friends that'll come help you and celebrate with you. So. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. What about, uh, as far as like your YouTube mentors, do you, would you call them mentors? I guess. I mean, who were you following on YouTube whenever you really learned or were you looking for more specific oh. videos? Um, so I wasn't looking for anybody specific, but it was like Googling questions, like how mm. to do this, how to do that. And back then I think the three main people I learned from was the hunting public because they were doing what I was doing. Um, and then somebody who was a little smaller back then, who is much bigger now was Caitlin Moss. Yep. Her videos, like she was doing what I wanted to do. And at the time I wasn't even filming. So I didn't even know I wanted to do this. Um, but I was watching her stuff and I'm like, well, she's doing it by herself and going across state lines and sleeping out of her car and no one's helping her, you know? And, uh, that was an inspiration. And then Allie outdoors, she was another one because she had some videos where she had hunted from a saddle and, that helped. Um, I think there was probably a couple others. Uh, DIY sportsman was another one. Yep. He was, he was nerdy into the, into the saddle hunting stuff, which yeah. is 
what got me to learn what I needed for my saddle setup. Um, so I just kind of dived in like anybody who did anything saddle related on YouTube three years ago, I promise you I watched their video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure as you got into more of the niche type hunting, like saddle hunting, there was different people that you yeah. would have to go into specific videos to learn little tips and tactics. But I, as a whole, that's the answer I was looking for was, you know, uh, that's taught us a ton too, as the hunting public, Definitely. you know, we had yeah. Caitlin Moss on our podcast a while back and, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned her because I see a lot of her traits in you and then your traits in her. I think it's a very driven, you know, female hunter that's out there just trying to prove that you belong in this space and you're going to kick ass. And that's what I love about both you and Caitlin Moss. I mean, I think you both kill it. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I've corresponded with her a couple of times and told her, like, thank you for posting your content. I look up to you or I, sometimes when I had like, uh, questions about the industry I'd ask her that as well when I was first starting off and people have compared us together and although we both um, are different and have different types of content are we have a lot of the same like goals and mindset and um, I think that's cool that there's a space for both of us in the industry you know so that's really cool um, yeah oh, by the way the thing that got me into saddle hunting was because I was self-filming it just everything was so heavy walking into the woods that I needed to make a diff. I needed to make a change because on public land, I had bought a, like a lone wolf climber. And back then they were heavier than they make them now. Um, but I was walking into the woods with like 35, 40 pounds on my back with the climber plus all my filming gear and camera arm and, you know, all that. Um, Plus my crossbow back then I was using a crossbow. Don't forget. So that's really heavy. Mm -hmm. um, but the saddle hunting seemed to be the, what's the word I'm looking for? It seemed to be the solution to my problem for weight. And um, I didn't know anybody who saddle hunted, like was not a thing. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is now a lot of people that I know who saddle hunt, like, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say they saddle hunt because of me. But they definitely, we definitely had conversations about what saddles they should buy <laughs> before they started. So that that whole trend of saddle, and that's a great transition. We'll get into that because that's kind of the reason we brought you on is for saddle hunting. That whole trend and everything that has transitioned over the last four or five years and it's gotten really, really big. It it seems like around here there's so much tradition, and you're from Ohio, we're Pennsylvania, like there are a lot of people that are stuck in their ways. There are your guys yeah. that are just gun hunters from the yeah. ground. They're going to walk all day long. doesn't matter what they do. That's what they're going to do. There's guys that yeah. have your ladder stands, your climber stands. Like climbers are the most popular thing probably in the world. Yeah. If you think mobile hunting and that's a very yes. big, you know, air quote there, mobile hunting. Yeah. And it was, yeah. I mean, back or then. Or the stands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to be mobile back then, that's what you had. You strapped that climber to their back and you went. And I, I think we got into saddle hunting pretty much for the same reason. It's, you know, we, we transitioned a little differently, but we were trying to find a mobile solution that was so much lighter and more streamlined than a climber and gave us more ability to get into different trees and whatnot. And I think, you know, that's what the saddle does better than pretty much any other way of hunting right now for us too so i think we all got into it for the same reason 
but I want to kind of uh, ask you, I guess, what, you know, what were your main struggles when you were getting into the saddle? Because I know for me, it was majorly on trusting the equipment is yeah. why we didn't get into it earlier. You know, I went and Hold made my buddy. right out of my mouth. Yeah, I made, <laughs> we made my buddy Sam to go buy one because yeah. he was crazy enough to do it. <laughs> it had him go hunt with it first. And then we decided, well, hey, that looks pretty cool. We'll do it too. <laughs> yeah, pulled the words right out of my mouth. The main thing was trusting my gear. Um, so I tell everybody now, because of course I've made all the mistakes. <laughs> um, I tell everybody now, like, start off a foot off the ground and shoot your bow and get super comfortable with it. Like for a week, just get at it a foot off the ground and then don't full send it. Just go five feet higher and do it again. Yeah. Like, because that five feet makes difference. Then go 15, then go 20. Because I promise you the first time I climbed 20 feet up, and I went to go pull up my bow and I looked down and I was like, there's no way I'm shooting at the target like this. Like there's no way yeah. just because your entire body is hanging out over the air and it's such a weird feeling. And it's like, you don't know if you can really trust that rope, yeah. but the, the truth is once you understand the mechanics of it, you really can trust that rope. I tell people. So when I, especially when I go to like these expos, like I just did an expo last this last weekend where I was demonstrating how to hunt from a saddle and I was convincing people to purchase saddles and letting people try them for the first time. So, I mean, I just did this like 80 to hundred times over the weekend showing people who had never done it before. And, um, uh, that, that bridge rope is, uh, has so many different, uh, weaves of little tiny ropes in there that like so many of those threads would have to break for it to fail. Um, and you, you would see it, you know, after years of using it, start to kind of fray before you would have to replace that rope. Um, so once you kind of understand that, you know, this is rock climbing equipment, it's meant for this. Um, and also, when you're hunting out of a tree stand, you have a safety harness, which is great. Hopefully you use one. Um, <laughs> everybody should use a safety harness. But if you were to fall out of your tree stand with your safety harness, you're going to drop a good two to four feet, depending on how long you have your tether to the tree. Um, and I mean, I, I know I, I mean, I know at least I would have dropped probably about my, where my tree stand would have been right at like, you know, my waist somewhere if I were to fall out of the tree stand. Um, so that's a good, that's a, that's a good amount of falling before that thing catches you. Um, and when you're in a saddle, there's no falling, like there's no dropping. You're constantly have that pressure of being tied to the tree. So once you convince your brain that, that you always are that safety, then you, you start to get a little more bold with your movements and you realize like, you can be a better shot with your bow up in the tree out of a saddle because you're not worried about stepping off your platform. You're if you're if you're at full draw and there's a branch in the way of the deer's vitals, you can easily crouch down to shoot it and not worry about balancing on a tree stand in an awkward, you know, not a good position to shoot. So for me, it's all about eliminating all the different things that can distract you from giving that animal the most ethical shot possible. I would totally I agree. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely awesome. I I couldn't agree more. One of the probably the other big decisions once you decide to go saddle is okay, well, I have my saddle. Now how the hell do I get up the tree and what am I hunting out of? So how did you make your decision or and what was your decision of how to get up the tree and whether to go with a platform or uh, how did you figure all that out? Well, um, at the time, I didn't have very much of a budget. So I went with the cheapest sticks I could find that were an improvement in weight for what I was currently using as a tree stand. Um, and I bought the cheapest saddle I could find from the most reputable company at the time. Still a great company. Um, still make good saddles, but I bought like their cheapest mm-hmm. budget version. Yep. And I bought their platform, which I'm still continuously using three years later. So the platform was a good choice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I started doing that. So the sticks I got were like the Hawk sticks and they're kind of heavy. And there are, there are some things mechanically that I don't super suggest, but if you're just starting out, I, I would have been successful hunting that season. If I had used those sticks, it would have been a little more of a struggle, but I would have been successful if I had continued to use those sticks. Um, the saddle, because it was a budget saddle is definitely not comfortable. Um, it was comfortable enough for me to be like, yeah, this is still better than a tree stand. I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and mind you, I had never tried any other saddle. So at first I was like trying to figure out different ways to change the comfort level of that budget saddle. I w- had also started to post more on TikTok and gain a little more traction. I posted like two how-to videos out of a saddle. And it wasn't even really a how-to video. It was like, Hi, my name is Kate. I'm learning how to hunt from a saddle. Here's the things I've figured out so far. And one was like how to be comfortable. And the other one was like how to shoot a bow from your saddle. Yeah. And I'm def- I definitely do things differently now, three years later than I did then. But again, it was with the thought of here's what I've learned so far. I'm new to this. Mm-hmm. So those videos, I don't want to use the word viral because that, uh, you know, that's like a up and down term, but those videos got a lot of traction. Yeah. Um, and the company I purchased them from the saddle that purchased the saddle from noticed. And they basically called me and they didn't say this, but I now know this is what they were thinking is like, Hey, you're getting a lot of attention in our budget saddle. You should probably use our good saddle. Like yeah. if you're going to continue to get this kind of attention, you should probably use the good stuff. So they, I was so lucky and they sent me all the good stuff. Sweet. <laughs> and yeah, they wanted to sell the more expensive saddle is what was going on. Oh there. yeah. Yeah. And they and realized. to be completely honest with you, as soon as I tried that saddle, I was like, I should have put my money into this one. <laughs> like 50 bucks difference was not worth it. This new saddle, I immediately knew I could do all day sits in it. I was so excited. I was like, I'm now obsessed with saddle hunting because all the little things I didn't like before was because I bought the budget version. Yeah. yeah. And I should have just saved my money and just bit the bullet and bought the best version right out the gate. But again, there was nobody on the internet saying like, mm-hmm. Hey, yep. don't buy this one. Or you're going to hate it. If you buy this one versus this one, you know, nobody was saying that. So I just did what I could. And, 
as soon as I tried the new one, I fell in love with it and became obsessed with making videos and that was that. <laughs> nice, nice. I'd love to hear that because it's it, it was you played perfectly into my question and follow up is because I wanted to hear that just because you went to a saddle and you got the climbing method and the you know the platform that you didn't stop transitioning and improving equipment. Mm-hmm. You did exactly what we did. Yeah. <laughs> you went budget friendly, you got into it, you broke the ice on saddle hunting. And then you continue to improve your setup little by little every single year, I'm sure, you know, just like we did buying better sticks, a better saddle. I think I've been through, what, four or five saddles now trying to find something that really, really fit well and was was awesome. And they were all great in their own way, but each one had something a little bit better because over time, as you continue to hunt in these things, you're going to realize that, okay, just because I don't like this doesn't mean somebody else doesn't make a saddle that I will like because they've improved on that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, is I still have all those budget items that I originally started with. And, um, last year, one of my friends wanted to get into saddle hunting, but couldn't pull the trigger on which one to buy or didn't have the budget themselves. And I was like, I got these just sitting here. Um, they're not great. They're not really super comfortable, but it's still better than a tree stand, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If you want to break the ice, like you said, in saddle hunting, I was like, here, give these a go. Like, at least you'll learn how to shoot your bow out of it and climb up and down a tree. So I gave it to that person and they used it for that hunting season. And before that hunting season was over, they went and bought themselves the good setup right away. Like, and they ordered everything because they're like, I'm convinced this is way better. You're right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, they were perfectly happy with learning on the budget one. So if you can't, if you can't buy the best and you can't wait, like get the budget one, just know that it is the budget version and there's better ways to do it. But there's so much you have to learn about saddle hunting that I don't know. It's worth it in my opinion. I would agree. Definitely. You know, you mentioned you're, you're going through this and you're working out your kinks and everything. What's kind of your setup look like now? What, what are you using? What? So I haven't quite decided exactly what I'm going to use this year. It's constantly <laughs> evolving. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> I love that, that. That's actually going to be revealed later on. However, I can tell you that multiple different saddles, companies, I think, I think to make a good saddle, it has to have like three main components. And if that saddle has the same three main components, it can be a comfortable, perfectly huntable saddle. So there's a lot of companies out there that make really good saddles that I would suggest for anybody that they can totally hunt in. Um, But it's going to be a hard sell to convince me to change my climbing sticks which are my number one favorite that i've tried so far which is the tethered one sticks those i i have i've got mine decked out i've filled them with expandable foam put stealth strips on them i have some cobra weaving on them and they're the they're the coolest quietest most sturdiest things that i've used them consistently for the last three years and i'm gonna have a hard time being convinced to change from that so i really like those um I've been also using the um, tethered platform. I'm a huge fan of as well. Their saddle. I mean, everything. Those. That's what I've used for the last three years. 
Don't know if I'm going to use it this year. That's what I used for the last three years. As far as our sticks go, though, I don't know if anyone makes any better. We'll see. I, I'd still have to try out uh, other things on the market, but we'll, we shall see what I'm going to use this year. Not really set in stone at the moment, um, but yeah. I can tell you I've tried pretty much everything. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, there's new things coming into play. There's carbon sticks. There are all kinds of new- I'd love to try those. Yeah, there's all I kinds of new technology that's been yeah. hitting and that's what I love. I mean, I think we've all gotten into saddle hunting at the perfect time because it is just expanding like nothing else. Floating. Yeah. yeah. I love it. It's there's an endless amount of possibilities and I think what's perfect about this whole conversation is we're doing a saddle series be, between multiple saddle companies and the whole point of what I just mentioned is that you may find a piece here that you really love with one company and another piece here with another company and you just continue to build between multiple companies. You know, a lot of people are very brand loyal and I totally get that, but at some point you kind of have to build what's best for you. And if that all happens with one company, that's great. But the whole point of this series is to bring a bunch of different companies in front of you to give you options. Yes. And at the end of the day, that's the best we can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I mean, the other saddles that I've tried recently is like the, I've so I've used tethered for the last three years. Um, I, Latitude makes a really com- pretty much like the same thing. And they're, and I don't say that in a negative way, like that's a super positive way. Like their, their saddles are amazing. Um, so is, uh, I tried trophy line this last weekend mm-hmm. and I haven't never tried trophy line before. Their saddles really good. Um, and, uh, a smaller company that I've worked with in the past, their name's Buzzard Roost and their saddle is super good as well. And then, um, it's just, I think once companies figure out like the three main components, it's like, you just, you got to figure out what you like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned this three main components a few times. I want you to kind of elaborate on it a little bit. Like what are your three points that you have to have in a saddle and what are your kind of bugaboos too (laughs) now okay all right so well one the saddle has to be comfortable um and comfort i suppose is one of those things that you know it, it could it could go based on who you're talking to it's very different per person one thing that's awesome about the saddles is that they're so customizable that i think you can take comfort down to like a very basic component of is there is there enough material and I think personally I don't know if that's just because I'm a female but I think personally the material has to be a flat panel it can't have any extra room for your rear to say or not like a cup saddle because those ones end up not evenly distributing your weight yeah and they put pressure on like your legs or your lower back. Um, And that was the budget saddle I originally had was like, it had like a cup in it, um, which I thought like the cup of like, Hey, that looks like a hammock. That looks really comfortable, but it just doesn't distribute your weight evenly. And if it's a flat panel um, where the entire thing is touching you exactly the same all the way around, then that ends up being the best comfort because then you're not getting anything pushing on you in any specific direction. So it basically has to have that and enough material there. Um, uh, The other thing it has to have for me is an adjustable bridge that is non-negotiable. I will not get a saddle without an adjustable bridge. 
too many things can like everybody based on their height and their width of the person uh, depends on how long or short they want their bridge. And so people who complain about getting hip pinch don't have their bridge long enough. So like there's like a tiny, a bunch of little issues that can be fixed just by having your bridge adjustable. Um, let me think, what's the other third component? Um, a back support strap. And I know you can buy that from like any company, but those are like the three things for me that like is comfort for the saddle. Back support of some, some form of a back support, um, whether it's a separate panel whether it's a two-panel saddle or a separate back support you put on, that's a must for me. So, I think that's pretty cool. The saddle has all three of those things. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Now, are you typically running that back support on the shorter hunts, or you mean you mean that more for like the longer hunts? Um, I always put it on. Yeah. Okay. Whether or not I scooch it up and use it is probably more accustomed to whether or not I'm bored or not, <laughs> whether I'm seeing deer or not. So like the reason why I put it on in the beginning is because I'm just setting everything up and I don't want to have a whole lot of movement and because I'm hunting and I'm focused once I'm up in the tree. Sure. So I always put it on, but you know, if I want to lean back or get more comfortable, then I'll kind of scooch it up and use it. Um, but I run mine and I have mine set up to when a deer comes in, I just kind of touch the side of it and it it gives it slack and it falls down. So it's not in my way at all when the deer come in. It's kind of the first thing I do. I just like touch this little button and it falls down and gets out of my way. So I Very love cool. it. Yeah. yeah, I use mine a lot. I think the back band and back support is a phenomenal piece, especially on the longer hunts. I, sometimes on them shorter hunts, I, I just won't pull it out just because i'm like eh, i'm not messing with that tonight yeah and it all depends but i've done that before yeah it, yeah it really depends on the hunt you know sometimes like you said if you're in a hurry to get set up and and you want to make sure that you have everything ready for when the moment may actually happen you may throw yeah. it on and just keep it down low and it never gets in your way it's just you know it's just yeah. there um but it's not it's in like the way. it's like one of those uh decisions that's like i'm a little cold but it's not worth pulling out my jacket to get warmer like <laughs> exactly yeah, right. absolutely exactly so now i will <laughs> say one other thing too though is something we should probably mention is saddle shape because i i don't know about you guys but i know even every year now since i've been saddle hunting the first like two or three hunts Saddle kind of kicks my ass a little bit. I mean, it gets, <laughs> you know, it's a little, there's like sore spots, you know, and I'm sure, especially when I first started, it was way worse. Obviously now it takes me one sit after that. I'm perfectly fine. But like when I first started, I mean, there was definitely some soreness to saddle hunting. I mean, you think about it, it's almost an, a nonstop ab workout and the way you sit up and depending on how, if you're a leaner, your sitter, blah, blah, blah. I mean, did you experience that when you first started? And is that something that I'm just crazy and it's just me? Or, I mean, is that something every year you kind of have to get into sh into saddle shape? Um, I would say yes and no, but I'm going to answer you a little different. Okay. Um, I would say that the only time I experienced soreness is because I didn't know at the time what my go-to comfort spots were. And that caused me to be sore. So 
you know, if my lower back hurt, it was like, oh, I forgot to put on the back band and I was relying on my abs. And then I was just ignoring the pain in my lower back because I, my adrenaline was pumped up the whole time and I had deer all around me and, oh, I didn't put it on. Um, but, you know, I experienced soreness in a tree stand as well, especially when you're adrenaline running or when the deer is in front of you, your whole body kind of tenses while deer are in front of you, even if you're not going to. If, even if you're not hunting those deer, you know, it's an exciting moment. You're watching them and, you know, maybe I'm just a green hunter and I get excited when, you know, a young doe and a fawn come in and my heart's pounded back then. I don't know, but um, I think it just comes down to learning what your go-to spots are. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's it, really. <laughs> just yeah. learning what your go-to spots are. I, I got sore climbing up and down the tree. I do have to say that because I I tried to climb up and down trees and was learning how to go up and down ones that were too difficult for myself. And I was just being stubborn. and was like, no, this is the tree I'm going up. And, like, the bark was crappy or it was leaning too much or it was too fat. And I was just like, no, I can climb up any tree with a saddle. And although you can climb up a lot of different trees with a saddle, you cannot climb up any tree. So I think I experienced a lot of soreness from like my mistakes and learning what I can and can't do and comfort level. Yeah. I I, I think that's accurate. I would agree that if you're not out before the season practicing and climbing and you know, I used to do that a lot, especially when I was new about it. I would go out and just find a tree and I would just climb it, hang out, and then climb back down and climb it and hang out and climb back down. We did it multiple times. And yeah, I think part of that soreness probably does come from climbing the tree because it's it's something you're obviously not doing all year round. I mean, maybe some people do, but I'm, you know, I'm not just going out and randomly climbing the tree in June or May or, you know, January. <laughs> Definitely. It's just not yeah. going to happen, right? So you're using yeah. different muscles. You're you're definitely uh, going to get sore from something like that. But I don't know. For me, it, it always seems like the first sit, I feel like, oh, yeah, I definitely saddle hunted. I mean, I was a little sore. Not a bad sore, but definitely a little sore afterwards. And I think you're right. It just mm-hmm. all depends on what setup did you have that night. Because I know there's some nights my comfort level is a 10. And there's some nights my comfort yeah. level is a 6 or a 7, just depending on did I climb the right tree? Did I set up on the wrong spot of the tree? Yeah. There were some nights where I forgot my knee pads in my truck and I didn't realize it till I was like halfway up my tree. And I'm like, that's going to be the worst sit ever because I don't <laughs> have my knee pads. Like, <laughs> and then I would just have the whole sit, like where I would be doing like the leaning position and not putting my knees up against the tree because you know, that just would have been terrible. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we'll, we can continue on some saddle talk, but I, I, I really want to make sure we make time because we are getting up there on time. I want to make sure that we mention too that, you know, you you announced some big news back in May about you coming on to a company, and I think this is funny because I listened to a podcast of yours today from 2021, and some of the stuff in that podcast made me laugh because you were talking about how. One, you were you were talking about how heavy your prior, you know, climber and everything was, and your setup and your filming equipment, how you've upgraded it. But two, the other thing that caught my eye was you talked about not having women's product specifically for you for women clothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and yeah. I was like, 
Mm. I need to bring this up tonight because I thought it was hilarious. Back in December 2021, you were talking about not having a specific line of clothing for women. And here we are, 2023, and you decided yep. to partner with who is that again? Screen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny thing is, is I found Scree through going to conventions um, and kind of marketing myself as, you know, uh, a self-film bow hunter. You know, I don't really care to use the word influencer, but that's essentially what I was trying to build. And, um, you know, I walked up to them and looked at and, and I actually was there at the convention for like two or three days and I didn't have I didn't talk to them until like the third day. But the first two days I was like looking at their clothes. OK, OK. And I, I went around and I looked at all the different clothing lines um, and there was a couple others that were specifically geared towards females. Um, but this brand kind of had a tiny little section in the corner was like, OK, this one's the females. And it was just a small little section. And um I was like, wow, this is really comparable to a major brand out there that I was currently using. Um, but the price point was good and I really liked the pattern. And I started talking to the guys, handed them my card. And then next thing you know, you know, they're looking at my content and giving me a phone call and gave me the opportunity to work with them. And um, I used all of their stuff during turkey season. I haven't actually hunted with it during deer season yet, but um, I used all the lighter weight stuff during turkey season and I was really pleased with the durability and how it fit me as a female and it was really comparable to the much larger company that I had been using. Yeah, it's um, okay. You can swear on our podcast. You can say Sika. It was really comparable to Sitka's stuff and um you know, they're very high price point, very high quality clothing company. I have nothing negative to say about them. Um, but it, it was just, it was nice to, you know, be able to shake hands with people that I could build a relationship with and were making good quality products and wanted to talk to me and was starting a female line. Um, so I, I really like it so far. And I, they, although they don't offer everything for females that they do offer for males, um, I tried on the male stuff and, I know once they make it to fit females that it's going to be just as good. Yeah. So I'm Absolutely. really excited to watch the company grow in the female direction. And until then I'll use what they got for females and wear their male stuff, you know, until they come out with matching female sizing. Right. So. Absolutely. I think it kind of goes into it a little bit more too. Like you are a female, they have a smaller line, but a lot of their stuff's more athletic cut anyway. So you can kind yeah. of fit into it a little bit better. I think you're going to find throughout deer season that, a layering system, like you obviously use Sika before, but a layering system like Scree and, and the good people behind it and how well made their products are that it's, it's, it's just as comparable, but I've used, I'm not even going to say it. I've used the other S word in the past. Yeah. And I said it. <laughs> yeah. Sitka. Yeah. yeah. I've used it's it in the past, there. but I will say that. Scree, it has a very special place in my heart as far as their layering system goes and the people behind it and their warranty. I, I can't say enough good things about it. I think you're going to find that it's just top notch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's kind of like what we talked about with the saddle companies. Like if it has these main components, 
then it's a good one and it goes right up there with the good ones. And I think Scree is one of those that has those main components that I'm looking for that goes right up there with Sitco, which I already loved. And, you know, maybe there's another one or two companies up there as well. But I think if it has those main components, it deserves a spot up there. So I think a nice thing about Scree being a smaller company as opposed to Sitka, they actually do accept and move forward with feedback from their users, which I think is really nice, especially you being a female, they have a smaller line. You can, you know, portray your interest in different mm-hmm. parts of their, their system and they're going to take that feedback and they're going to run with it. And yeah, I, you're I really appreciate that. Yeah. On their decisions. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I believe we just had like an ambassadors, like group, uh, phone conversation or it was like a zoom meeting and it was all of our videos up with, uh, the owners and, they asked us females specifically if we had any issues with any of the items and all of the females only had issue with one item and they immediately wanted to hear each one of our individual reasons as to why. And it turns out all of us had the same exact opinion. So now they're going to do something about it. And I think that's awesome that we have a voice in the company as well. And not just like, Oh, well, you're a female, like here, we're our female line. Like it, they, they really do care about the function of the product. Product. And, you know, women that are out there and putting it through, you know, the tests and need something that's really highly functional. I, I appreciate that we have a voice. So definitely. Yeah. yeah. They sent out an email not too long ago, too, about, you know, what are some of the products you'd like to see come out with screen? You know, I don't like to toot my own horn all too often. Just, I know <laughs> just every time I can. And, uh, you know, somebody suggested a puffy vest out of uh, that suggestion. And I believe in the next week or so we will be having a puffy vest. So I'm extremely excited about it. But it just goes to prove, you know, and that may have already been in the works. But, you know, multiple pe- they want to hear from the consumer, yeah. not just, you know, you or us or whoever's working at Scree because it is a very small company. Uh, they want to hear yeah. from the consumer too. They want to be able to provide the best customer service. And it's funny this weekend working down in Texas, a lot of the kids that we've talked to and a lot of people that have Scree or heard about Scree, they're like, customer service is number one. I mean, oh, they're yeah. absolutely phenomenal. Oh, and we had multiple people that were switching from a Sika, uh, you know, a Numa or whatever, Kuyu. They were coming over to our booth going, holy shit, that's your pricing. And this stuff is just as nice. And we were just down at the mm-hmm. other place. And, you know, uh, and people were literally like telling us horror stories about other companies and saying, yeah, I got to start switching to Scree. And there was one kid that had a whole group of his friends and he was all Scree, all in. He was like, I'm telling you, he kept bringing kids over. They're trying jackets on. Every one of them made purchases that day. Awesome. Every single one of them bought something awesome. Scree, and they were a different company prior to that. So yeah. it just goes to show you, awesome. if you can put it on and wear the stuff and see the quality, you're going to you're gonna be convinced 100%. But mm-hmm. They have a really, really good warranty too, which like was my – that was my main concern because with other companies with the high price point, they have a lifetime warranty. Yeah. And then the fact that Scree offers the same thing, that to me was like, that's customer service. And I want to make sure that if I'm putting my money into, you know, a company of wearing their products that in, you know, two, three years from now, you know, things bust open and it's not as good functioning anymore that, you know, it'll still be a good investment in the end. So. Yeah. That was another thing on that podcast that, that caught my attention. You were talking about 
investing the money into a product, but the way you like to hunt a lot of times is on the ground, running gun, you're breaking brush, you're busting ass, you're, you're going through some shit. Mm -hmm. And I started to kind of, you know, just kind of laugh when I started. And now obviously knowing that you were with Scree, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you found the right place because for everything that you were talking about just a mere year and a half ago on that podcast, I think you found the right home with Scree. I mean, just everything, durability, where a woman's line, I mean, the, the warranty, it was all just like one after another that you covered it, mm-hmm. things that you really wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that, that's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I remember everything I, I remember what I, now I remember what I said in that podcast and you're absolutely right. Like back then I had no idea and I wish I could show back then me, which was only two years ago, like what I'm doing now in companies and people that I'm talking to now. And it's, crazy to think what can change in just a year or two, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you put your mind to it and you put in the hard effort and hard work, you know, Mm -hmm. you can go a long ways for sure. And that's, that should be an inspiration. You know, we have people that ask us all the time that have young women in the industry and, and they always ask about other women in the industry that they can look up to or, you know, model their daughters after. And honestly, some of the people it's like, they think it's really hard. They're, they're looking and they're like, there's not a whole lot out there. And I go, well, bullshit, because we've had multiple people on this podcast, women that are absolutely awesome people to role model after. I'm going to add you to the list. So, you know, from here on <laughs> out, but we have had some freaking awesome women on this podcast that are just absolute killers. So uh, I think that's, that's something that, especially with TikTok and the young women in the industry, we need more people like you, like a Caitlin Moss, like even Charmaine when we had her on, yep. you know, that kick ass and do it the right way. So for that, I have to give you a round of applause because I, you know, I absolutely love what you're doing. Thank you. Well, I never really consider myself like a role model before, you know, I mean, a lot of times when you see uh, outdoor influencers or other hunters, like, I don't like know if role model is exactly the word that I would think of. Um, I'm not saying that in a negative way in, in, in any shape or form, but it's just interesting that that has been thrown my direction in the last two months. Um, I've been doing these shows and um, the last couple of shows that I've worked, I've had quite a handful of kids come up to me, ask to get a picture with me or ask me questions and they're like I watch you on TikTok and then you know the kids go to walk away and the parents turn around and they want to shake my hand and say like thank you for making content that I can let my kid watch and not monitor and thank you for inspiring my kid and okay after that happened a couple of times I had this idea to create this little series myself so I'm actually doing the first it's kind of like a podcast, but it's not really a podcast. I'm going to do like a, it's going to be like a Zoom call, very similar to this, where I'm going to have a conversation with different kids that I've met um, and just ask them like what it was like for them and their first, uh, their first uh, experience harvesting a deer. And what was that like? What was that like to kill your first deer? And who got you into hunting and why do you love it? And what are some things you don't like about it? And just like little little questions like that, because, you know, I want them to inspire other kids. And um, again, it's like the whole, like, 
I guess, role model thing and just inspiring, like those kids have an opportunity to also show other kids that, you know, you can do this and it's not just about, it's not even close to being just about, you know, killing animals because the truth is that only happens like 1% of the time. And there's a lot more that goes into it. And I really want to focus on that. And um, I'm super excited to be doing my first interview tomorrow with uh, one of the girls, the little girls I met. She's 11 and she's so cute. And um, her parents are super excited to be doing this with me um, and, uh, you know, making sure that it's going to be appropriate and that they're okay with the content that I end up putting out there because it is the internet. Um, But for, and then I have another one planned as well for next week. So I'm excited. It's going to be a new series and I'm starting hopefully to get the youth more involved and, you know, with the platform I have, I hope that I can just, it can help other kids that watch my platform get a little bit more excited about hunting because I had no idea the amount of kids that watch my platform until I started doing these shows and they started coming up and talking to me. I'm like, I didn't even know. Like, mm. I thought it was just, you know, people 20 and older. I had no idea. So I'm definitely keeping that in mind from now on. Definitely. Definitely. There's something to be said for that. And I can applaud you too for getting into it with the kids and and really putting out the content that their parents don't have to monitor because there is, I mean, I got two young girls of my own and I have to constantly worry all the time. That's, that's an awesome thing that you're doing, but you know, Chuck mentioned we are getting there close on time, but I would be remiss if I didn't give our listeners a good hunting story. Uh Now that being said, I'll give you a second to think about it if you want, but off the cuff seems to be the right thing. If you have something lingering in the back of your mind, it could be, it doesn't have to be a deer hunting story. It could be a turkey story. What's the one story that sticks out in your mind that's your favorite? My favorite. Oh. I can make this easier and link it all together because she was, she mentioned something earlier about her first buck that she shot with a bow out of a saddle. Ooh. And I, I mean, it is technically supposed to be a saddle. I know we didn't, you know, episode, we didn't get a lot into it, but um, we could talk about that buck you shot last year. My, my, actually my initial thought kind of goes to, um, a hunt with, that I had with my dad, uh, a couple of years ago. Go with your gut. Yeah, let's do that. hundred (laughs) percent. Um, that one's the first one. Cause it kind of involves the, our, it kind of rolls into all the conversations we had about like tree stand, saddle, crossbow, compound, like it's got all four elements. So, and it was a really good hunt. Um, so um, every year he, so my dad lives in New Hampshire, which is where I grew up. I live in Ohio. I already mentioned that, but just for recap, he comes every year, comes to Ohio to go hunting with me during gun season. Now, Ohio only has one week of gun season again, which is why I learned how to hunt with a bow. <laughs> um, so he comes for that week every year during gun season. And, uh, ever since I started to learn how to hunt with a bow, I'm like, Oh my gosh, dad, the amount of deer I see with a bow is like absolutely insane compared to gun season like the deer get you know they get pressured too much and they don't come around and like by day three we're kind of struggling with our guns like on day three um there's this specific spot that i hunt that i'm not allowed to hunt with a gun on and i had to be careful about how i word this Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but let's just say that like i'm not allowed to hunt with a gun there send me a pen um (laughs) 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 so um i had been convincing him like 
come on, I have a crossbow. You can use my crossbow. Let's go use our crossbows. And he's like, I'm not using a crossbow during gun season. No way. What if the deer is at like 70 yards and I can't shoot it? And I'm like, dad, I promise you in this specific area, I have tree, multiple tree stands already set up. And I promise you, you're going to have deer under you because this specific area just has a lot of deer density. And because they're not used to having the gun pressure, they act the same all through gun season as they do during bow season. That's a dream. So, uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's, it's absolutely awesome. So if you're willing to put down your gun and go in this area, then it, it I mean, it's the same. It's freaking bow season and they're not pressured. So, um, I think after sitting in a tree stand for 10 hours and he only saw one deer at the end of the day of like day two of gun season, like he literally, he loves doing all day sits and I hate them, but he loves them. And he did 10 hours, only saw one deer and he was like, all right, I'll pick up your crossbow. Let's go. And I was like, so excited because I'm like, I'm about to prove him wrong, <laughs> no, but in like the best way possible. Right. Cause yeah. I want him to be, have success. And um, you know, I want him to put meat in his freezer and in New Hampshire, you know, my parents love having venison, but they, my dad hadn't been successful in New Hampshire. So they didn't really have any venison in their freezer and we're shooting does, you know, and, um, I put him in one of my tree stands that I had been successful shooting deer at. And I have this area completely down packed. Like I know where the deer are coming from, what time they're coming. And I told him, I said, if you don't see 10 deer within shooting distance, but by noon, I said, we don't have to do this again that's how confident I am. Like you're going to at least see tech by noon. And uh, he's just like, okay, all right. You keep saying it, whatever. So I brought him to my tree stand. I got him all fed up. You know, he pulls his crossbow up and I'm in my saddle. So I'm just like, screw it. I'm just going to wing it. And I just go like 60, 70 yards back behind him because I know the deer skirt around and I can hunt that close to him with a bow and, you know, see completely different set of the deer. So I went like 60, 70 yards back, got up a tree in my saddle and we start hunting. Well, I'm seeing a whole bunch of deer as soon as it gets first light. And next thing you know, he's texting me. I see a deer. I see like a bunch of deer run towards me and I see one like wobbling and like not looking so good. Next thing you know, she falls over and dies. And I'm like looking at her through my binoculars and I'm zooming in with my camera because I'm self filming. And I'm like, I text my dad. And I'm like, I, I check my phone and he messaged me like, I shot one. I don't know if it was a good shot or not. I didn't see, like, I'm really worried. And he's self-doubting. Well, I took my phone and I zoomed in with my camera to the white belly up on the ground. And I took a picture with my phone and I did, I just sent it to him. And he was like, oh, I got her. Like, he was so excited. And then after he shot that deer, he said he had immediately like four or five others around and that I, he could shoot. And I was like, you can't like not in this area. You're only allowed one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we got, we got down and it was really cool because he didn't have to track it because I already seen it go down, but we had fun tracking it together anyways. And he ended up shooting like a, it was a giant, like it was a giant doe and he was so excited about it. And, you know, to me, hunting is all about making the memories, you know, didn't shoot a buck, didn't, you know, didn't shoot anything on record, nothing. Nobody wants to see us holding a picture about, but that was one of my favorite hunts just because he was so excited to come home and be like, tell all of his friends, like I shot a deer with a bow 
during gun season to the, I mean, that's just, he just thought that was insane and it was the coolest thing. So it's all about the memories. I couldn't agree more. That's a really good story too. I, I love that you picked that one. Like Chuck had a different idea and that would have been a great story, but mm-hmm. the one you presented was just, I love it. Excellent. Let's be fair. All hunting stories are great stories. <laughs> I would agree. That's true. But so. when you involve dad and you involve family, that's, uh, that's next level. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what it's always been about for me right. is making the memories. And actually the last couple of years that my dad has come out to hunt with me during gun season. Now I don't have to convince him to hunt with a bow anymore. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> when he comes out with me because I'm filming and I hunt so much by myself, when he comes out, I'm not hunting for me. I'm hunting for him. And yeah. a lot of times I end up putting my bow down and I'm there with my camera because last year I really just wanted to get a whole entire hunt filmed for him because when his generation, he never had that. And you're, I only get to see him like twice a year. So for me, it's like, no way. Like I want to hunt with you. I'm not going to get to hunt with you forever. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be able to capture that on film so that, both of us can watch it for the rest of our lives. So that to me is worth more than, you know, I'm going to be able to shoot deer forever, but I'm not going to be able to hunt with my dad forever. So when he comes down now, I put down my gun and I pick up my camera and I shoot the deer in a different way, but making memories with him. So that's important. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. I know my dad's so stuck in his damn ways. It's, it's, tough. <laughs> it's tough a lot of times, but I feel bad. So, you know, last year he was struggling off the beginning and I was, you know, I was successful in the beginning of the year and I'm trying to like, he's not a person you can like give tips and tactics to because he's killed probably more deer than anyone I've ever known. And he's done he, it. It's got to be his idea. Type. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he's done it his own way. And it's it's such a shame because I have one property that, you know, Austin's been successful. I've been successful. My brother, Joe, like every time we go out there, we see all these deer. It's like the best hunt ever. Every single time I bring him, he never sees anything. <laughs> it's like, I don't get it. I've tried. And every time he comes out there, it's like the deer just shut off. And I don't understand it. It really upsets me because I'm in your same situation where it's like, I want him to have, like, I'm in my spot. I've literally backed off way back just to observe. And I want, I'm like up there praying every minute that goes by, like, please just put a deer in front of him so he can kill one finally on this property. So he'll come back. And now it's like, he just doesn't even want to come back (laughs) to it. He's like, I never see anything out there. And it's like, Dad, I'm telling you, there's so many deer out here. It just was a couple bad nights. Oh, man. Yeah. You know. Sometimes, you know, like my friends and people will tell me too, like just because you're seeing a lot of deer, that doesn't mean that like the huge deer are there. They end up segregating themselves. So like you actually want to seeing less deer and being in a really good spot is better. Yeah, it can be. And it was just funny because it was like he had a curse on his back because I'd see 15 deer one night. He would come with me the the next time we were down there. We'd see two deer. And it was like I'd go back again by myself. I'd see 15 deer again. It was just like it was a running joke. It was hilarious. But it goes back to like wanting him to succeed or like if I'm with somebody, I want them to kill more than I want myself to kill because – Absolutely. If I brought you somewhere and I want you and you're on, you know, the property that I've obtained, I want you to succeed there. I like I'm guiding, you know, again, air quotes, Mm -hmm. guiding you. 
I want you to freaking succeed. I want, you know, I want to see people happy and ecstatic when they shot. And I've, I've had a couple of those situations where I brought people out and they've shot deer and they've died at my feet. Um, Austin, I don't, did you shoot a doe? Was that you? I shot a doe. You watched the whole thing. And was, I watched it go yeah. down right in front of right me. Yeah, front of it was you, freaking yeah. awesome. Like, that is the coolest <laughs> yeah. thing ever. I thought that was you. I wasn't sure. Oh, no, it was me. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Like, he shot this doe, and it just starts running across the field, and I'm watching the whole thing, and it just starts to, like, plow down and goes down right in the middle of the field in front of me, like 50 yards, and I was like, fist pumping in the tree you know i'm sending all capitalized text messages and exclamation points like <laughs> there's nothing better like you said those memories it's like man they'll go on forever yeah oh absolutely and i would like to mention something that i don't think a lot of people think about especially if you grow up hunting because it's so natural for us to be like we watched the deer go down and we mm-hmm. celebrated And for people, this is a conversation I have with a lot of people. And I think it's because of the platform that I have Um, for people who don't grow up in hunting or don't hunt. They're viewing it as like we're celebrating because we watched a deer die. And it's like, yes, but also I think you got to look at it like this. I'm celebrating when I watch the deer go down and I don't have to track it because I know that as a hunter, I did my best due diligence to give that animal the um most ethical end to their life possible Mm -hmm. because nature is brutal and any other version of ending their life that didn't involve a hunter would have been torturesome if you think of all the other ways that nature uh makes animals uh you know their life when their life ends and so a lot of times it's a celebration of you did your due diligence, you practiced, you did that animal justice, and you're celebrating because you completed that whole process. And I just like to make that like as a little note for mm-hmm. anybody who might be listening that isn't a hunter or just getting into hunting that like the celebration is not just about the animal dying, like it's about all of that combined. So I think that's really important as well. Well said. Well yeah, said. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, I see it a lot on different videos I watch, especially on YouTube. You know, people shoot something and it's almost like that adrenaline dump takes over. And you see a lot of people laughing after. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. always something. Jeez, Siri's talking. Um, that's always <laughs> something that I've noticed in videos. And I'm almost like on the edge of, I get this, but I wonder if somebody else gets this. Yeah. And I think the way yeah. you put it is perfectly said because when you are watching and you, you do celebrate because a perfect example of that is how nature is cruel. Austin and I were hunting mm-hmm. one time together and a quick story that we've told before, but we actually bumped some deer and one of those deer had three legs. She had just been either in a car accident or something where her other leg mm-hmm. was almost completely severed off and she started mm-hmm. to kind of limp away. And Austin went around and ended up bumping her back to me. I was able to shoot her with my bow during gun season and mm-hmm. you know put her out of her misery that deer had been suffering yeah. to the mm-hmm. 10th extent suffering mm-hmm. for weeks i mean just to the point where she was not able to get up and feed totally emaciated um, yeah i mean absolutely just wow. get completely feeding off her own body and her muscles there was an ounce of body on her of fat on her body and we were able as hunters to go in and 
put this animal out of its misery and like you said give it the most ethical death because nature is not a friendly place it is it is Uh it's you know nature can be very cruel so when when you mentioned that that's the first thing i thought about was that moment when we were able to do that for that animal and uh you know take care of a situation that was unfortunate for her obviously but you know we have a purpose in this world obviously hunting has a purpose in this world and i'm glad you brought Mm -hmm. that up because it's something that we probably do look over because we've been doing it for so long yeah yeah it's just second natures to us we all understand that this is the concept and it like it doesn't need to be spoken about but it especially with social media and with things being put on the internet i feel like it does need to be spoken about because i for one do get a ton of comments from sometimes my videos go so big that they do hit a wide audience of non-hunters and then i end up getting more hate comments because a lot of them don't understand because those videos that go viral are the ones where i'm celebrating or crying or calling my dad saying i just shot a deer and you know i obviously in that video i'm not explaining that concept i just explained to you guys but i think it is worth mentioning when we do have the platform to mention it yeah i would totally agree for sure and I, I would also mention, too, I love the way you handle um, some of the haters and the naysayers out there that uh, I saw some of your videos recently about you do it all for attention and whatnot. I love that you just throw it right back in their face and, and give them hell for it. I try to do it in a very tasteful way. I appreciate humor a lot, and I don't want I know people who are hating on you just want to get under your skin and make you upset. So if I can turn their hate comments into a humorous video that other people can laugh about, then I get to throw it in their face, but they don't get to win because they didn't get under my skin because I turned it into something funny and they got me more views. So, yep, absolutely. (laughs) And you know what they say, if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right. I guess that's what they say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I don't want to take up too much more of your night, but if there's anything we miss, please throw it out. But you know what? If not, tell everybody where they can find you, all your social media, all the fun places, everything. Yeah, thanks. So uh, everything is just under my name, Caitlin Armstrong. Got to keep it simple. (laughs) Very cool. So uh, I'm on TikTok is where my audience is. YouTube is where I'm taken seriously. And all my YouTube has like all my really good hunts. I do film and produce all my own hunts. So everything's done by me. I do have occasional help from like drone footage and, you know, a friend here and there. And I do appreciate that. Um, And uh, uh, Instagram and Facebook, I'm on there as well. So very cool. And that is Caitlin with a K. We'll make sure that we post that on uh, our Instagram post and our, our show notes as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, the good thing about the internet and having numbers, if you just Google Caitlin Bowhunter, it's only me or Caitlin Moss that pops up. So right. there <laughs> there's you another go. way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, Caitlin, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. This has been a great experience, a great episode. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you guys for having me. I love talking about uh, hunting and then all the different little areas that, you know, you don't get to talk about sometimes with your average hunters. And it's really cool that you guys have a platform and invite different people to have different types of conversations and different viewpoints about. So so thanks for that. Absolutely. Absolutely.